You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. I just want to extend a, a very happy Resurrection Day to everyone today. I mean, this is the most wonderful day of the year. It's a day we celebrate the risen Christ, the, his victory over death and sin. And so I want to thank you for inviting me into your home. And I want to proclaim peace in everyone's home right now. Let that peace bring a grace to you that just fills you as we re- begin this, this day. I just find that the, the, the idea of the risen Christ is so peace-giving that just extending that to you, I just love that. And Rick, I really do want to thank you for the honor of being allowed to bring the message today. You know, not many senior pastors would let the new kid on the block do this. And so I really want to thank you, Rick. It's, this is a great honor. I, I was talking to a pastor in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, he was asking about Easter. And I said, well, I'm giving the message. He goes, I thought you were just the associate pastor. Because he would never allow the associate pastor. So. But this is a special day for me in another regard, too. On Good Friday in the year 2000 is when I became born again. The Holy Spirit just captured me. And that following Easter was like nothing ever before. I, when I was talking to him, he goes, oh, so you became a Christian around the turn of the century. It made it sound like it was a long time ago. But <laughs> I, what, I'm gonna do, what I'm going to do today is a little more personal. I'm going to talk a little bit about the journey that got me where I was when I was in my 40s. Um, I'm just shy of 66, so, you know, that was, I was about 45 years old then. And so that, you're wondering, how does someone who that, waits that long, what, what were you fighting? And what happened on Holy Week and Easter Sunday that changed everything? See, I'd been part of a, I was going to a Korean church. And um, for some time, I'd been going to a Bible study, and as Holy Week approached, and Reverend Park, uh, who was leading it, knew I was going to be off that following week for Holy Week, and he really challenged me that Palm Sunday. He said, read all four gospel accounts. Spend special time in the Passion section and the Resurrection section, and read them over and over. And because it would be spring break, he goes, if you have any calls, give me a call, because he was actually a professor more than he was anything else. So as a real strong skeptic of the resurrection, I kind of want to share with you how the Holy Spirit really powerfully changed me. He changed my heart, he changed my mind, and I received the gift of Christ, the risen Christ. So I read those Gospels over and over again, and all through the course of the week, and here's the odd part. You know who made sense to me? Thomas. Now, you know you're messed up if you read all the characters of the Bible and you, and you associate yourself with Thomas. I mean, there's one section when Jesus is saying he's going to go to Bethany, and, and so Thomas is really encouraging. He said, oh, let's go, so that we may die with him. You know, so this is the guy that I kind of associate myself with. But you know what? He just knew people do not come back to life after they're dead. He was sure of it. He knew it. It does not happen. And so, quite frankly, I'm reading that. I'm going, yeah, Thomas. And if you told me that George Washington had walked among our midst 
I'd say you're either really, really messed up or someone pulled a really good hoax on you. But you have to understand, they're using the word resurrection. This is saying that Jesus came back to life in his body. And there is no context for that in the world. No other faith group, no one else believes in a resurrection of the body. Now, there, was a, there were a lot of Jews that believed in an end-time resurrection, but outside of that, there was no concept for that. Not in Egypt, not in Asia, not in anywhere else in the country. And so I'm sitting there saying, Thomas had it right. I mean, he's the only sane one in the group. Actually, let's read in Thomas. It's in uh, John 20. We'll just read 24 and 25. Now Thomas, almost known as Dynamis, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. <clears throat> you know what? That's me. I'd be saying, you know, guys, you've been through an awful lot this week. Um, but you guys, you got to understand, this is nuts. And I'd probably be the guy that all through the week saying, when's he coming back? Teasing him. And, uh, you know, when's your ghost coming? But a week later, starting in verse 26, something happens. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas has just declared that Jesus is his human Lord, but he is his deity. He is his God. And Thomas just reaffirms the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith erupts in the heart of Thomas, and it meets that stubborn mind and comes together in one accord Christ is risen and lives. And Jesus never corrects or alters that statement one word. As a matter of fact, he goes further beyond his statement and then pours faith into our present life, our present time. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. John goes on in this, 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 ver in this chapter and then says why he wrote the book so that we would believe. Now, that's something you would wait till the end of the book to declare. But it's like he's saying, look, if you don't believe me, ask Thomas. He doesn't believe anything. And so I was, that really shook me. So from there, being the good investigator I was going to be, I got a concordance and looked up all the verses I could find about resurrection. And I'll tell you where I stopped for a while. A long while. And actually, this whole week I've been reading it every single day. 1 Corinthians 15. If you please take time to read this. This has got to be 
the most amazing chapter on the good news written. It, it, for me, it beats the Nicene Creed, all of them. Read chapter 15. Because one of the things I really had a problem with, is, as anyone would, is the idea of duplication. If something happens, but it never happens again, you have to question if it happened. And if it's scientific, scientifically unlikely to have ever happened, you really have to look at this. So if I said that Rick Francis can fly, I saw him, you'd really, really challenge me as a witness, and you'd challenge whether that's a really uh, an accurate fact, unless he does it again. This, 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 first of all, the validity of the testimony in this section is really important. So I want to show you, uh, we'll start with verse 1 in chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I want to mention real quick when it says according to the scriptures, I don't believe Paul here is talking about specific scriptures. He's taking the scriptures, which are the Old Testament, the Torah, and he's saying the entire overlay of that book according to the scriptures. And he said, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and at last he appeared to me also to, as one abnormally born. I am the least of the apostles and do not even desire to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether, whether then it is, it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. See, Paul writes that there was hundreds that saw this, and most are alive in telling it. Jesus is alive and is walking around, and there were hundreds of eyewitnesses telling the story. Paul's virtually saying, if you don't believe me, ask them. Most of them are still alive. And you know what? I'll guarantee you Paul has asked them. Otherwise, he wouldn't have known which were alive and which ones are dead. So Paul has probably said, did you see this too? So this is a really good affirmation of the testimony. But he goes on further, and he talks about that this is just the beginning, that there are going to be many, many more rise and have human bodies that live. Duplication's coming. So let's drop down to verse 20 in that same chapter. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, meaning the, the, sort of like the pioneer. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom 
to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything he has put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself who puts everything under Christ. There's two really specific things that are really, really important. This is going to happen again, over and over, and this time we're included, plus death. The last enemy is going to be destroyed. Will rise never to die. See, my thinking from this point, this point has been my point of view to determine the truth. I, I didn't allow a new worldview from the perspective of the subject I was studying. And so I was looking from my lens. So I'll give me an example. If, I, if you want to know about Korean people, you have to be immersed in Korean people, hear their language, hear what they do, see what they talk, how they feel about things before you know this. You can't take a Western perspective and apply it to Koreans and say, I know what you're thinking. And so I had to move my point of view to that of Christ. And so that's, you know, not one of the great thinkers, not one of them, Homer, Plato, Cicero, all the great thinkers had any room for the resurrection. At that point, I didn't either. This brings us hope. A worldview perspective from the one who created all will bring, death, bring the dead to life to make many alive in Christ. Where Thomas stirred faith in me, Paul stirred hope. The final step of my journey came on Good Friday. I actually was still pondering the effects of the resurrection. I know you're going to say that's crazy. You know, I said Christ is risen, so what? Why does that really matter? It said Jesus died for my sins, and I don't have to be punished for it. Okay, but I'm still the same person I was. And Jesus took the punishment for me. Am I really that better off? Here's what the problem was. The level of the love of God, Bible in the Greek it's called agapeo. This love was not included in my view. I didn't have a point of reference for this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness. It didn't, it didn't register with me at all. And as I went, and, and the other part is, I had to ask, if God loves, is it personal? Does he have this overriding love for everyone? Or does he love everyone with the same intensity he has for everyone? So I was kind of thinking like a politician. He loves all those. He loves his country, but he loves every countryman. And so I read further in the book of John, and this is where I was totally undone. It's chapter 21, where Jesus meets some of the disciples who went back to their old job, being fishermen. Now, only, that, only now they're fishers for fish, not for men. They think it's over. They deserted Jesus. They hid. And they, they hid because they feared for their own lives. But they deserted Jesus. And among them was Peter. And he was, a, he was really an emotional mess at that point. I mean, think about this. He, he, just before Peter was arrested, you know, he pridefully refuses to have his, fish, his feet washed. Then he declares, oh, I will 
Lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus tells him, three times you're going to deny me. And he does. Three times. To the point he says, I don't even know Jesus. And so there he is. And there's Jesus. So Jesus is on the shore. He's having a little fish fry. And he's cooking and he's, he's serving. And one of these days, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Mary... Did you teach your son fish fry that has coleslaw, maybe baked beans, maybe corn on the cob? Side dishes. You created the world. Side dishes. All right, anyway, I'm sorry. But, but anyway, they were, all the disciples were kind of wary about approaching Jesus. Peter jumps in the boat. He swims to shore. And then in front of everyone, he asked Peter a few questions. This, Let's read this 21, and it'll start in verse 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. It's important to realize Jesus was using the word agapeo the first two times. And this is a, it's an entirely different, it's an, it's an unconditional, will you do anything for me unconditionally? He's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, would you love me to the same level that you watched me love you on the cross? And Peter answers, his word for love is a Greek word called phileo, which is for friendship. But he keeps answering, Lord, you know we're tight. You know we're good. We're buds. And that's really what, it's just amazing. It breaks you. Because Jesus is accepting the broken, incomplete level of Peter's love. It's just to say, just love as much as you can, and he'll accept it. He'll complete it. He'll receive it, and you'll be accepted. Just love him. And you got to understand, Peter's more than forgiven. Jesus commissions Peter to be in charge of his sheep, of his flock. You know, this is really something astonishing, and it really puts into perspective what John the Baptist said when he first sees Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's more than forgiveness. It's removal. It's remission. It takes it away. And so... It removes the sin, which then takes away the guilt, the shame, the internal heartbreak of, of the sin. This is transformational. most valuable thing that Jesus has is his church and, and his flock. And the man that failed so miserably is more than forgiven. He's restored to complete and total trust. Peter goes from traitor to partner and he's been restored to build the church. Jesus trusts Peter to look over his bride, 
to care for her and to keep her safe, to keep her pure for his return to the marriage banquet. And it was really, that's why I wept. The resurrection was more, at least to me, about the Passover lamb. The sacrifice of Jesus to restore his people so they become a new nation and are no longer slaves. They, they would be his people and he would be their God. He became, I became one of his people and he became my God. Faith, hope, and love had come out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord. By defeating sin, by defeating death, we are restored to the family of God. I was born again, the old had died, and I was made alive in Christ. The Red Sea had parted, and now I lived on the other side, never to return to that life, because it's dead, and I'm made new. Hallelujah. The following Easter, I was asked to speak of my experience at the, my old Korean church. And so all I asked to do is read one small passage, Mark 16, 1 through 4. And it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which is very large, had been rolled away. I now realize where I was. I'd been in a cold, dark, lonely grave. I had no idea how I would ever get out. And so I was asking, who will roll away this stone? I was dead inside, had no context for faith, hope, or love, but God. God showed me that I would have my head pierced, just as his was with a crown. He would pierce my thoughts, my identity. My mind would go through an amazing renewal and see possibilities where I saw roadblocks. He showed me that he would pierce my hands that would grasping at anything and everything. They would take a closed fist and open it to be receiving hands, receiving blessing and grace. He showed me that he would pierce my feet that were always walking into trouble, always walked with discontent and walked without direction. They would give me a, light to my, a lamp to my feet to keep me in the present and a light unto my path to give me direction. That, would, that I would be molded to carry far more than I could ever dream at that time. But finally he pierced my heart. He put a spirit in my heart that out from it flowed the, the blood of life, a life of anguish and hurt. A new heart and new life replaced the old. My entire being was being nourished and healed by this new blood being pumped by my new heart. Christ has risen today, and he has made me alive in him. My new heart is soft and pliant, and it receives the love that was spoken to Peter, and now I walk in the light of Christ. A skeptic, absolutely certain that Christianity was a waste of mental energy, was totally undone by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. This single event changes everything, historically changes everything. 
The stone indeed has been rolled back, and you and I have stepped out into a new life in Christ. The resurrection of Christ has paved our way for a resurrection in him. Hallelujah. I ask God to bless you this morning, that he blesses you with faith, hope, and love, the love of the resurrection. And right now we need all three. I earnestly hope that if anyone's listened thus far and wonders if this could happen to you, that you let me know and let us call the church. I ask that we get to sit down and talk. No preaching. I just want to sit and talk with you. I ask the Holy Spirit to move in your heart right now and to reveal the truth, the truth of Christ. And I wish to declare new life being poured into everyone listening. That you may be a child of God that needs revival. I'm asking new life be poured into you. A renewed energy to cope with all that life has drastically changed. Holy Spirit, come in power. I'm going to ask right now if you take a second and grab what you will use as elements for communion. And we're going to take communion together. And so we're going to receive the, the body and the blood of Christ. And we're going to receive it in a fresh and new way maybe today. That the new covenant that Christ declared, the blood of the covenant that has been sprinkled upon us and cleanses us once and for all, a sacrifice that never has to be repeated, in Christ we are all changed. So, let me get my little things here. It may only be a piece of cereal or whatever you have at home. That's fine. It's a representative. So we take this as the body of, of Christ, the incarnate Christ, God made man into human form. That human form has risen today, that walks in human form, that sits at the right hand of the Father as human. We take this today as Jesus reminded us Take and eat of this, for this is my body. And then we take the cup. The cup of the new everlasting covenant for the remissions of sin. This is the blood of Christ. The blood that cleanses all of us. No longer does there need to be a sacrifice because it's a perfect sacrifice. And we enter into this with Christ as risen. We enter into this with eternal life that, our, that we have risen with Christ <clears throat> and have been taken to heavenly places with him. That as he sits and reigns from the right hand of the Father, we take his blood that opened that pathway and we say, Jesus, we take your blood and receive the promises that you have given us. I'm going to repeat the words of Jesus right now. Not to, so don't get, don't get crazy, but peace be with you. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. So just take a deep breath right now. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Christ our Savior has risen today. Hallelujah. 
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.